There's absolutely no freedom that comes from any other direction, no other place. And so we honor you, God, that you um, have so fit um, in your economy to save and to do it so mightily. What an awesome God. So, God, in light of that salvation, there wasn't a requirement for salvation, but there are requirements because of salvation. And that, and that is to hear your word and to do your word through the power of the way you saved us, through Jesus. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord God, my strength, my redeemer in whom I trust, and whom we trust, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? They said? They said. Ephesians 4, verse 11. We're in it. Let's get at it. Ephesians 4, verse 11. We're going to probably end at 13. I thought we was going to get to 16 today, but things didn't go so well in the first gathering and getting there. So we're going to go where God takes us, and I think it's a lot and it's enough for us to grasp and work through and meditate on um, to be able to be transformed enough by the gospel. Amen? All right, verse 11, to equip, I'm sorry, verse 11, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, or some as, each one of these, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature, to mature manhood, to the, uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's read a little more. Maybe we'll get here. So that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful speech. Let's stop. Let's stop. We're going to talk about a little bit today for, for a little while. I want to take the subject of identified as builders. Say identified as builders. We're still on our series on Ephesians, and we're in the unity section where he begins to get into the mire and the grit of Ephesians um, 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 chapter 4, and, and we're in this section, and, and I'm excited about this section because there's some key things that we really need to learn as a church in being identified as builders. My sons are, 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 are two, they're seven, eight years apart, and they're the funniest dudes on the planet to me um, because I love to watch them play together, you know. My older son's kind of the protector, the lover of his son, of my little, his little brother, and his little brother is kind of like um, cater to me, do what I want, and don't do anything about it type dude, right? Like some of us. But um, so as they play, one of the things I, I, I love watching them do is play with Lego blocks. Now, of course, we have the bigger ones for the, for the little kids, not the little miniature ones he can swallow. So my, my, my older son, you know, they play with blocks differently. My, old, my oldest son, what he does when he puts the blocks together, um, he's trying to build something in particular. And, and, and the way he's trying to build something in particular is he's trying to create a structure. When he creates a structure, he's like, flat out, Daddy, come looking. I'm looking at it. I'm like, that's nice, son. What, what is that? And he let me know what it is. And, 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 then, and then what happens, though, is my younger son is playing with the blocks differently. Very, 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 very differently because he's only two years old. However, at some point during their playtime, he looks over at his big brother's structure, and he puts all of his blocks down, and he walks over to his brother's structure and just, like, drop kicks it or something, you know, and just knocks the whole thing apart. I mean, so my, my son's like, Nehemiah, stop! And, and Nehemiah just, 
he just laughs it off because, he's, because his goal for the blocks is different. My son's goal is building. My oldest son, my youngest son is to destroy. Okay? Now, now, now today we're talking about being identified as builders. I want to know, are you like my older son when it comes to the church or my younger son? Are you, are you a builder or are you a breaker? <laughs> because it's very, very important if a church is going to be a church that the community of people call the flock of God, the community of God, the congregation of God, the sheep of God, the people of God, as the body of God, are builders for God. And so here in this passage today, we see that Jesus uh, went to a cross, and he died on that cross, raised from the dead, hung out for 40 days, post his resurrection. Hung out, appearing, eating fish, grilling, enjoying himself with his disciples, <clears throat> teaching them, doing more miracles, all types of stuff, right? Then in Acts chapter 1, he ascends to heaven, and the Bible says that he gave gifts to men. Now, we saw in 8 through 10 that there's individual giftings that God has given every single believer based on Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now we get to this section, and now he's talking about a different stream of gifting. Some people call this five-fold ministry. I, I, I agree to a certain extent, but, 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 but they're not offices, what we're about to talk about. We're about to talk about gifts. Say gifts. Now, these gifts are people gifts, which brings us to our first point. Um, if we're going to be identified as builders, we have to have or we have to have the cultivators of unity. These people here that he's about to talk about are the cultivators of unity. In verse 11, when it talks about these five people groups, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, those are five groups of people that act as the main cultivators and builders of unity in the church. Now, these are not offices. Office meaning a, a, something that needs ordination or appointment uh, through an ordination process like, uh, like, like uh, particularly deacons and elders. Um, even though a deacon or an elder can, or pastor, shepherd, can have these components within the matrix of their gifting, these people gifts are a small group of people within the church that have a specific role. Now, let's explain what these gifts are and what they look like. Y'all tracking with me? Now, remember we're talking about apostle as gift, not office. We, we, talk, we talked a few weeks ago that, the, that there was a dissolution of the apostolic office upon the death of the 13 apostles. You had the original 12 minus Judas, then adding of Matthias in the end of Acts chapter 5, which made the 12 the 12 again. Then you had one who was untimely born called Paul, who was the 13th apostle, not included in the community of the 12, yet a different apostle, yet in the office of the apostle because he wasn't a substandard apostle. And one of the things that you saw in the office of apostle that you have had to have seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's one of the qualifications of the office of the apostle. If you did not see the resurrected Jesus based on 1 Corinthians 8.1 or 9.1, it says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Am I, have I not seen the Lord Jesus? So he's pulling out and pushing out um, the qualifications of what it means to be an apostle. Therefore, um, there are no such things today. Now, we're not talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about the office of apostle. It has dissolved um, because of the role of that gift. Now, with the dissolution of that role, we can't have a title of an apostle and you're a pastor of a church. And I'm going to tell you why. 
Now, this is going to be very, very important because now we're talking about gifts. Say gift. Now, this idea of the gift of the apostle is extremely important for us because we do have apostles today who are gifted as apostles, not officed apostles. Original apostles had universal authority over the church in several ways. They were able to write the scriptures. They were able to walk in all of the gifts of the spirit at, at will, not at will, but based on the grace that God gives at a particular point in time. They could do miracles. They could do signs. They can do tongues, interpretation of all of the gifts. They, they had to summon the spirits because they were uniquely used as pioneering missionaries. They were pioneering missionaries because they were starters. Now, now, some of the things that have been wiped out is the office, the authoritative nature of it, and the writing of scripture that could be involved in the apostolic authority of that apostle. Now, apostles no longer walk in the fullness of all the spiritual gifts for pioneering mission efforts. However, there is an apostolic ministry for today. Now, this, this apostolic ministry is missiological. Say missiological. Now, we know that every believer is a missionary by identity. However, there are those who are called to a little bit more of a grimy mission, meaning to go where no one has gone before like Star Trek. In other words, a true apostle doesn't do revivals to Christians. A, a biblical apostle, based on Romans chapter 15, verse 20, preaches the gospel to unreached people groups. And they go to those unreached people groups because nobody else will go. In other words, being an apostle, gifting is not glitzy. It's not real fly. You know, ain't nobody lining up for this type of apostle. You get the apostle, apostle, we well, can get an offering and a revival, clackadocy, there you go. But I'm talking about the guy that doesn't need a plane. He gets in a car and drives and ministers to people, goes in cities and try. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I wish I had some help. But, 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 but this gifting is not a cool gift. It's not a smooth gift. It's a grimy, raggedy, rambunctious gift that is relentless for Jesus and it's for weirdos. See, if you got the gift of the apostle, they're eccentric, weird dudes. You know, go, go, to, go, go to places where people wouldn't normally go and plant churches. They, see, they don't go where the Walmart and the Target are together with Lowe's and Home Depot. You know what I'm saying? And then new, uh, new, 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 uh, they got jug handles and circles in the middle of the community, big old backyards and five trees in the backyard that go up to glory and carrying on. You know what I'm saying? Yard being, you know, automatic, uh, 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 what you call them? Sprink yeah, them, sprinklers. They don't go, and that, that doesn't mean they don't go there. That means that that isn't the only place that they go. And, and, and so, so, so they go among unreached people groups. Now, we see this in the gifting mix of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Turn there with your boy. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me teach for a minute. It says in verse 28, it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, third, then miracles, then gifting, gifts of healing, Helping administration, administration, administrating in various kinds of tongues. I like this, right? Because this is not, this is not based on order of importance. It's order of process of church planting. Stay with me. Because in order for a church to start, you have to have a sent apostle. In order for a church to be strengthened, we'll talk about this in a second, you have to have prophets. I'll talk about what a prophet looks like um, in a second. 
then, then you have to have the affirmation of what the apostles said through prophets and through teachers affirming it through explaining what was said. Then you have to have, after that, um, miracles being done to authenticate the fact that the apostles aren't liars and that the gospel is a true message and gifts of healing. And then, then you need some people, now that you got all these folk gathered, to help. Then, then because everybody else, all the other people you saw, they disorganized. They have no order. Because they grimy and just all over the place, organic people that, that, that are vegans and drink special coffee. That's the rest of these cats. Now you need somebody that comes in with, with, the, with a shirt on and say, you got the, with the gift of administration, and they come in and organize everything. And so that's a process of church planning. So when we look at the apostolic gift, it should be followed by order. Somebody ought to hear me right now. And so, and so now, now, th now, this is not a list of subordination, like I said, but ecclesiological process. Now we'll see in the scriptures, I can't turn to all the scriptures, but there's just too many of them, where people are called apostles without being a part of the 13. That shows you that they have the gift of the apostle. Barnabas, in Acts chapter 14, verse 14, is called an apostle. Just write them down. 1 Corinthians 9, 5 through 7, he's called an apostle. All this is going to have great application for us, so just stick with your boy. James. It's called an apostle. That's the brother of Jesus. We know that there was the apostle, uh, part of the three, but this is James's, I mean, Jesus' little brother, his kid brother. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, he's called an apostle. Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, he's called an apostle. Apollos is called an apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 9. Savannah, a.k.a. Silas, is called an apostle in 1 Thessalonians 2, 6. Titus is called an apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, and Epaphroditus is called an apostle in, cha in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. So these, gift these are the gifts of the apostle that flank what is set up by the original office of apostle by having the gifting of apostles. Now, these are, again, these are gifts, and I'll, I'll explain how they e actually equip the body when we get back to that. So put, 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 a, um, put like a thumbtack there, and we'll come back to it. Next, prophets. Right now we got prophets. Now the now we talked about the dissolution of the office of the prophet ending with uh, technically John and also Jesus because Jesus is has his foot in the old era and the new era because he's uh, he is the prophet of old but he's the prophet of the future but he's more than a prophet because he's prophet priest and king but not only is he prophet priest and king he's 100% God perfectly and he's 100% man. Perfectly. So he's a brand spanking new orientation of what it means to walk in prophetic ministry. Hallelujah. Praise God. You should be running right now. But Jesus, but this prophet here, we're talking about new, not office of a prophet that's, that, that was a shepherding representative for God to turn God's people. He was a rudder of sorts in the Old Testament who spoke to the people of God to turn them back to God. And then the priests were able to teach after that. See, this ain't nothing new. That's how things been set up all along, right? But these New Testament prophets, they're set up for several reasons. They're set up, they're set up to, do, to do edification, comfort, evangelism, preaching, and keeping God's people focused on mission and encouragement. I'll, I'll explain that in a second, but I have to run through these so that we can understand these giftings and who they are. I'll, I'll take, tell you what they function like in a minute now. Evangelists. Now, evangelists, again, is a person who is graced by God, who's graced by God 
to be able to preach the gospel of God to lost people and they respond to it. In other words, God gives them a discernment to detect the elect. See, you can't say you're an evangelist if you don't lead nobody to Jesus. I, I got the gift. Well, not if you're preaching to believers, you're, you don't have the gift of evangelism. Because, see, the gift of evangelism, if you know that a person has a gift of evangelism when they don't like being around Christians too much. They're the ones you got to get, make them get in community. I, you got to spend time with us sometime. You know what I'm saying? Because they love unbelievers. They, they love unbelievers. That's Pastor Doug. I'm going to tell on them right now. Pastor Doug has the authentic gift of evangelism. Pastor Doug, I, was, I lived two, three blocks a few years ago from Pastor Doug, and he get on, I'm around there, you know, talking to people, you know, they're like, ah, you know. Pastor Doug moved on the block. A month, him and Angel led, him and his wife led eight people to Christ. And they're still in the church. That's how you know there were authentic conversions, when they didn't just come to an altar call, but they continued, oh, God help me. And so, and so, and so now, we talking about the authentic gift of evangelism. And so, and so that, that means this gift of evangelism, now you'll see only one person technically in the New Testament is called an evangelist, and that's Philip in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, when he's called Philip the evangelist. Now in, now in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, um, 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 Paul talks to Timothy. Now in, chapter, in verse 1 he says, Preach the word in season, out of season, retort, rebuke with great patience and instruction. However, in the midst of your preaching, guess what I want to do, what you to do in verse 5? Do the work of an evangelist. Now, how do you do the work of an evangelist as you're preaching? He's teaching them how to be gospel-centered in his preaching. In, in, in other words, as you preach the word of God, you preach the gospel in that. You, you, you do it on your feet and you do it with your mouth as you do the work of an evangelist. So, so, so therefore, it's a way to retort false, false, falsified documentation of voices of fools who don't know the gospel. But we'll talk about that in a second when we get to cunning folk. And they travel too. That means, but they travel to meet with unbelievers and engage unbelievers, not Christians. Pastor teachers. Now, this is interesting because some people connect these two that they're connected and not necessarily connected. I like the way Horner says it. He says, all pastors are teachers, but not all teachers are pastors. That's a good word. I wish I could stay there like for two hours and y'all be patient with me. But I know how we are, so I'm going to just stay on it for five minutes. So, 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 so this role means every pastor has to be able to teach. Now, this, now listen, though, this is not the office of pastor. Like in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is the gift of a pastor that other believers can have, but it's still a minority of believers. So this is the gift, not the office, even though the office should have the gift. Are you with me? Now, the teachers here are those who, again, give instruction that is in accord with sound doctrine. Paul tells, Timothy, um, Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Then he told them to teach the older women, teach the older men, teach the younger men, and teach the older women to teach the younger women. Don't you teach the younger women. So you shouldn't have men talking about they discipling women. Ah, let me say it again. You can't disciple women. Let me say that again. You cannot disciple women. You, and you only should do it for a season until there's someone that can be raised up to do that. But yeah, I'm going over and I'm going to teach the women at the class in the basement. You know, just me and the women. We're going to dim the lights a little bit for atmosphere. 
you know, because doctrine needs atmosphere. You know, we're going to let our light shine. We're going to shine on you, all right? <laughs> I love everybody in Jesus' name. Now, now, now we get to the next section, right? Practitioners of unity. Practitioners of unity, right? Now we have these five groups who, 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 who are groups of people who cultivate unity for the church. Now, this is in response to what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done, he's provided these people. That's very, very important. We don't create these people. Jesus sends these people, okay? Based on him sitting at the right hand of the Father, every time there's a church that starts, Jesus appoints people with these five gifting areas. Powerful, right? Now, the practitioners of unity, based on verse, tw chapter, uh, verse 12a, is an interesting group of people. It says, to equip the who? The who? These are the, now, these are the practitioners of unity. Now that unity has been cultivated through Christ, through the people he sent with the gift to the church, now you have those who functionally do the works that practice the unity that they were equipped to do. Now, it says to equip the saints for the work of service or the work of ministry. Um, um, the, word, the word service or ministry here means to be adequate. To, to, it, it, it means, it means to, to have training to be fully qualified to what God has called you to do. So, so what these people are to do is they are the equippers of the church, but they're not the ministers of the church. The ministers of the church are the people of God in the church. So guess who the ministers really are? The congregation. The congregation is supposed to do more ministry as a whole than the people who have the gifting to equip them. Okay? So, so, that, so that, means, that means now that there should be an, a beautiful and glorious execution of the community of Christ who are serving in various areas of gifting. I'm going to talk about what that looks like when you're equipped and how they equip us in a second. Right? Now, in this equipping for the work of service, each one of these ministries has a specific role. I mean, gifts have a specific role in helping the church to move forward and for the church to be uh, to walk in its gifting and to be able to have biblical unity. Now, the gift of apostleship is unique because the gift of apostleship today works as someone who has a pioneering philosophy of mission. Uh, Andrew Wall says in his book, um, Christian, ah, I can't remember, but anyway, he says every 200 years, the church has to be a scholar of the Bible and the scholar of context because a non-Christian culture consistently re-emerges over 200 years because of the quote-unquote death of Christianity. So what you need is, even though that ain't going to never happen, um, but um, Christianity ain't going to die, the church ain't going to fizzle out. I mean, oh God, help me. I hate when people put out these alarming books. But, 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 what, but, what, he's, but, what, he's, but what he's saying is very important. Because there's apostolic ministry that's needed to start churches. Now, somebody say, well, there's too many churches in Philadelphia. I mean, you knock on the door, you roll over this way, it's a church. You roll over that way, it's a church. You look up, it's a church. You look down, it's a church. Everywhere I see it's a church. It's a church pamphlet over here. It's, a church. it's churches everywhere. Well, it's 1.5 million people in this city. 1.38 million of them don't know Jesus, so we don't have enough churches. So, therefore, apostolic ministry is to go globally and locally locally, nationally, and internationally, to pioneer. That means if you're called to be a missionary, you're called not to go there and hang out 
and be a tourist. I was in Rome, you know, had me some linguine in Rome. No. Had me some real palm. You know, show me where the sights are. You know, I'm going to Pisa to see the... That ain't missions. That's enjoyment. That's tourism. True missions has in its wake ecclesiological missiology. Somebody ought to hear me. In other words, you should be either wanting to help strengthen a church or start a church. So that means you go there among the people group that people won't go through, and some of it is hard. I knew one woman, beast in the scriptures, monstrositous in the scriptures, and she spent 20 years in a place where she went. Where she, she, didn't, she said, I'm not a pastor. She said, but I'm a missionary, which is really theologically apostolic gifting. She went there, learned their language, and developed a phonetic system, grammar and syntax. Taught them, their, taught them their language from a reading standpoint because they didn't have a visual learning system. It was an oral tradition learning system. The goal of that, well, then she did that. Then she took Hebrew Bible and the Aramaic and that's in Daniel. She took Greek Bible got there for 20 years, and took their language and wrote a Bible for 20 years. Then, after that, then after that, got the gospel got incarnated into the people group. Then they had a Bible. Then you needed, then people came up who were raised up after a particular two to three year period where now they had the ability to appoint elders, and then she was able to move on and go somewhere else. That's apostolic ministry. See, 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 we think ministry sexy. See, some of you, see, when somebody tell me they call the ministry, I say, what you want to do? You want to own your schedule, don't you? So you think you can sleep till noon and come in when you want to. But when you're driven by the gospel, it doesn't make you lazy. So, so don't come into ministry if you think you just, I'm going to just, you know, you ain't going to you know nothing. So this apostolic ministry is a real apostolic ministry that's not a shady ministry, right? And so, and so they work on leadership development and appointments. I remember another sister. She says she, says she, she was weeping because she was, compliment, she was complementarian, not egalitarian. And she said, she said bro, how, I'm in this place. How do I, as a woman, not exercise authority, but there are no men here present, help me to understand how do I help develop leaders? I said, you develop them and move out of the way when they come. And guess what she did? She did it. And she went, well, I'm a woman and I should be. And she didn't go off. She was like, she's figuring out how to be biblical and missiological. But they're also exemplary in suffering. <laughs> Told you it ain't sexy. See, apostles... See, what happens is God specifically assigns superlative suffering to the person with the gift of apostleship so that when they're among the unreached people group, the suffering, listen to what Paul says. Paul says, uh, he says, I've been afflicted in every way, but not crushed, cast down, but not fors uh, uh, forsaken. And he said, always carrying around in the in my body, the dying of Jesus. What does that mean? I suffer a lot so that when I'm among unreached people groups, they see my brokenness, they see my suffering, and they see Jesus. Therefore, saying, how in the world are you surviving going through this type of struggle? Then he says, I'm glad you asked. And now he can share the gospel with them. And then people can get saved and churches can be started. In other words, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and then ask yourself, are you an apostle? Because it, it's birth in suffering. I wish I had some help in here today. 
See, 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 and, and see, and see, we need to understand this so that we won't think ministry is some sexy place. If you say we need people called to the farm, I'm gonna stay here for one second. We need to be, we need people that are called to the pioneering mission field of the world who would give their lives for the gospel. Who would say, even though I don't see the fullness of this form in the people, I'm just gonna start it and move on. That's what apostolic ministry is. That's what God uses it for, prophetic ministry. Let's talk about it. Now, how do the pro now oh, oh, back to apostles and their apostolic ministry doesn't cause division, right? They cause unity. Now, prophetic ministry is composed of really three kind of components, but with an overarching component, where you see you see confirmation. Uh, that's Acts chapter two, verse twenty-two through twenty-three and twenty-one seven through fourteen. Paul was about to go to Jerusalem, they was, and the prophet was like, Agabus came to him and snatched his belt off and tied himself up and said, the man who owns this belt is going to get beat down if he goes into the city. Paul, remember Acts chapter 9 where he's supposed to suffer many things for Christ's name's sake and said, I must, and it says, and he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. In other words, he saw suffering as a confirmation of his calling because Jesus had already told him and the prophet confirmed it. See, prophetic, but this is the issue. Prophecy is never for the individual believer. Show me in the Bible where it's prophecy just for you, just for you. Prophecy, even if it's individualistic, has a community and kingdom impact. Every prophecy that you read in the Bible had a bigger scope. Next week, you, oh, oh, I see it right now. Next week. Next week, ah, oh, I feel you, God. Next week, you're going to come into something, and 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 I don't know what this. Oh, let me see. It, oh, that ain't prophesying. That's prophet lying. I said it, but I do believe in prophecy. First Corinthians, First Thessalonians, chapter five, verse 20, 21 says, "Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold to that which is good." What's good? The Bible. But Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, these things I've written to you in order that you may not stray far from the things which are written. So if somebody come in here in Epiphany Fellowship, you got a prophetic utterance. We would love to hear it. But you're not going to say it to everybody. You're going to come to me or one of the elders. We're going to say, all right, spit it. Now, we're we going to be, I'm going to just tell you, if you don't have a track record, if you don't have a track record, we're not going to, like, assume you're telling the truth. Because, see, I got the protector thing in me, you know, called eldership. And, and, and I, what you want to say? Okay, tell me. Then we're going to say, okay, is this something that God would say from the Bible? Or is it so individualistic that it has a passion for one's own appetites in it? Second Peter chapter 2. Amen, somebody. Many will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, wanting to have their ear tickled. They accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. So if you're a teacher that is cultivating people's personal desires, you're not a prophet. However, if you're broken as a prophet and you're fearful that you've, I don't know, I'm fearful, and, and you, you read Deuteronomy 18, what normally happens to prophets when they prophesy, and you say, listen, I, 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 I'm scared, but I know God is saying this. Now, I feel, if you feel, he didn't say it. If you know, he said it. 
And then you say it, and then it's affirmed, and then it's told to the entire body based on 1 Corinthians 14 for the edification of all, not one. Because tongues and interpretation of tongues is also prophecy. So if somebody stands up and they begin speaking in a known tongue publicly, I want to see if somebody's going to react who's from another country. And they may break down weeping. And that means they're speaking to them. What did he say to you? And he tells them, and it's glorifying God based on Acts chapter 2. Then I'll say, that's a prophetic word from God. What did he say? Let's tell it. Let's tell it to everybody. And then we get to shouting. Then there's the other kind where I, somebody starts in the gathering and we're worshiping. And worship is real high. And somebody stand up and they just start going in tongues. And I'm going to stop the gathering. I'm going to say, okay, let's pray. And then we're going to pray for 15 minutes. I'm going to give it 15 minutes. Then I'm going to say, who has an interpretation? Then somebody stands up, and we say, take them in the back, interpret. If it ain't what's in the word, it won't be heard. If it is in the word, then we'll proclaim it. And see, that's what biblical prophetic words do, okay? So it's never a selfish intent. So confirmation, encouragement, and exhortation. Now, the evangelist is put there to equip Christians who aren't gifted in evangelism to actually execute their evangelism. So that means that makes us better evangelists. Now, they're not evangelists who work, who read books and basically think through evangelism, but don't talk to anybody about Jesus. But they're better teaching Jesus than practicing Jesus. So what the evangelist does is the evangelist, through both theological depth in the gospel and actual experience in engaging people with the gospel, they understand and teach the body on what it looks like to share the gospel. What's the presentation? What is the gospel? And then these are some experiences that I've had in apologetically engaging people intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally in order to remove those barriers so that people may trust Jesus. And then they, that's, what, that's, what, that's how they equip for the work of service. Then you got pastors. Now, the people with the gift of the pastor have, has some level of leadership, some level of care, some level of knowing, some level of feeding, and some level of protecting. 1 Peter 5, 2. John 10, Ezekiel 34, Titus 1, 10, in principle. Again, this is not the office, but the gift. And so does teachers. That means they teach, again, what accords with sound doctrine. That means they can teach Acts and Pauline epistles. In other words, all of these things go together to unify the church. And all of these five gifting people groups all work together to make sure that the church is healthy. Now, once that Now, this is what the result of that should be. They, it should be that they're equipped for the work of service, which we talked about. Now, last, this is probably the last point I can get to today, which is the goal of gospel unity. The goal of gospel unity. Chapter uh, Verse 12b, it says, For the building up of the body of Christ until we attain, all the way to verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood. Say mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I like that. Because then it says, the goal of this unity causes community maturity. Causes everybody to grow in spiritual, from spiritual infancy to what? Yes. So, when, we, when we're built up, we build up and we're strengthening one another. These gifts do that, and then mutually, as we're built up, we build one another through the one another's. So, so, so this, this, this idea of, of uh, building up here means spiritual strengthening. It has the idea of a construction project. The word can be translated edification. 
edification. Now, this is, this is how I've coined it based on the scriptures, a definition of building up or edification. Edification is that dynamic process by which the church actively apply the faculties supplied through Jesus to aid in the mutual construction of the entire church into the image of Jesus. That's edification. When we work together to make sure that one another looks like Jesus. Now, this is a grace that is given because of the gospel, not to be right in the gospel. So, 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 so therefore, this, this is beautiful. We see the word everywhere in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding. Uh, Romans 15, 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for the good to build him up. I mean, you can, oh, it's just so many places in the Bible where it talks about building up. Now, it, so he says to attain to the unity of the faith. Now, this idea of attaining to the unity of faith is God's goal for every Christian. God's goal for every Christian is good predestination. Romans 8.29 says he predestined us before the foundation of the earth to look like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So in light of that, his goal is to make that happen. Therefore, the unifying of the church unifies around the gospel in a way that helps us to look more like Jesus. That means you have to have truth tellers in your life. We'll talk about that next time. See, some of y'all got gumps around you. I wish I had time. Oh, God, but I'm going to wait till next week. I tell too much too early. And then he says, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? Unity of the faith, our common knowledge of Jesus, unifying in that, our common faith, rather, in Jesus Christ. Then, then this is interesting. He says, in the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is interesting. Now, the Greek word here for knowledge is the word epigonosko. Say epigonosko. Now, the word here is used in the Old Testament as the, as the word yadach. Say yadach. Yeah, good. I saw some gutturalness there. I like that. And, and, and that word means, when, when it says, and he knew his wife, it means intimate knowledge. So here it means knowledge that comes from a relationship. <laughs> it's not just, just intellectual. It's intellectual and emotional. In other words, you're connected based on affection. So, so he says, we attain this by the whole community having affections for Jesus. That's true knowledge. True knowledge is not, see, oh God, see, true, see, biblical and true knowledge is knowledge that comes from being with him. So, 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 so we're unified when we're with him. If you're not with him, it causes disunity. So knowledge that comes from being with Jesus. It's concrete knowledge. It's used in 2 Peter 1.4, where he says that we may grow in the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I'm going to stop, but just this last thing. Can I just do one more thing? He says, to you attain to a mature manhood. Say manhood. Now, the word here, mature, is an interesting word. It's the word telos, which is the word used by Jesus on the cross, a, a derivative of it, when he said, to telestai, it is finished. 
This word means the finishing or completion of something in your life. In other words, the completion of manhood. Now, the Greek word here for manhood is not the general word anthropos. It's the word andros, which means gender-specific, but here used for the general populace of the church. In other words, it's giving a, a euphemistic picture of what it looks like for a man growing up in their culture. Now, Paul uses that euphemism in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, when he said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I walked as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. In other words, the goal of the gospel of unity is for the entire church to be a grown-up. But see, many of us are satisfied with infantile, emotional, uh, oh, God, help me. We, we, we're so, we, listen, we're so, we're so substandard because we have a shallow maturity. See, most of us base our maturity on our good quotes on Twitter. Our good quotes on Facebook and how many likes we've gotten. You know what I'm saying? I, I got 19 likes. <laughs> I got a good thread there. You know, and, and you know, and, but 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 most of our and our profile picture. You know, we and we present ourselves. We do all of this personal branding of our flesh, so that people will like us, and we perceive we be perceived as something functionally in our souls that we're not. See, but mature manhood is not how you dress up your body. I wish I had some help right now. But it's how you dress up your soul. And so some of us need to get off of Twitter for a little while and, and look back at some of the quotes that we told everybody else because some of us got C.S. Lewis Christianity and Calvin and Luther Christianity. But I want to see some actual. See, we got quoted Christianity. We don't have noted Christianity. Oh, I wish I had some help. See, you got quoted but not noted. In other words, you're reading the classics, and the classic hasn't made you a classic. I, I, I wish you would stop being an entrepreneur for yourself. God's agenda, he don't, he not, when you get before the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to pull up your Facebook page to see what you look like. Even though he's going to use it to judge us for rewards, not eternal destination. But some of us work so hard in our external culture to appear a particular way to the world. And some of us, our internet Christianity is as deep as we are as believers. And the internet makes us look like better Christians than we've been sanctified in Jesus to actually be. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I mean, and I pray that we would, this is when the church is really unified, when we're broken and walking in maturity. Wanting to be, admitting you're immature. See, most Christians, it's not many people that I know that will admit that I'm immature. See, the gospel frees you to admit where you are and where you're not. It's not just, well, you know, I heard Piper quote, you know, that people, and I just looked at CJ. I don't care. I love Piper. Love C I love all those guys. But, I mean, I, I just got to, you know, I, this is a great quote from the podcast I got. Man, podcast something in your spirit. Oh, I wish we would get off hype, entrepreneurial pop Christianity. Every time I get an engagement, I get scared that I'm, that I, I don't want any, oh, we have a pop culture Christianity that exalts stars and celebrity Christianity. But, but what did he say in the Bible who we should look like? 
He said, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ, 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 him alone. I pray that we want him alone. I pray that we become unpopular again as the church, that the church is not so popular. And having a verse on your t-shirt, but not your heart, just die to it. I pray that God crushes internet Christianity, uses the internet, but crushes the flossiness of our coolness and makes us grimy again, wanting him again, new again, on fire again, transformed again, loving him again, pursuing him again, and working on the unity with a local church instead of being a consumer. We want everything after the counsel of our own will. But that's not how you're changed. You're not changed by your own counsel. You're changed by the ruler of counsels. <sighs> and so, so I, 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 it starts with me repenting. Repenting and, 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 and wanting people to view me as spiritually sexy. We need to die to our Christian sex appeal. Uh, if one more person on some, well, you can be sexy and be a Christian. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. We don't need no help with that. We need help with, with, with women adorning themselves with a godliness that's a mystery but clearly seen. Men that's transformed, that pursue Jesus above thugism and pursue theism. See, that's what we need. And then we need unification that transforms everybody, not just individuals, not preferential Christianity, but principle-based biblical Christianity. Oh, I'm going to stop. But I, I want to see, I know God wants to see some real Christians, some real believers to the measure, to the stature, of the fullness of Christ. I want my wife, I want my wife, my marriage to be a monster, really. Not how we sit in a picture on the internet. Not tweeting about a date, but actually having a, a good date that builds us up. See, I, see in other words, re, just real good collard green with grits and shrimp Christianity. I'm talking about that stuff that stick to your ribs like no other and give you indigestion because you know it's there. That's the type of Christianity I'm talking about. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Help us, God. Help us, God, to stop marketing Christianity and be a Christian. Father, help us in Jesus' mighty name. Deep down in our sanctified souls to be changed in Jesus' mighty name. Help us to have real transformation, real reflection of your glory, real anointing, real power, real depth, real growth, real manhood, real womanhood, real sanctification. Holy God! Make us real, Jesus! Break our phoniness, God. Break us. Use everything in your economy to shatter us. 
come after us relentlessly. Help us to not be phony. Help us to be real Christians. Help the stature of Jesus to be our passion, to be our desire. Help our coolness to fade. Help the glory of Jesus to become renewed every single day. Saturate us with your mercy, God. Saturate us with your truth, God. Saturate us with your spirit, God. Saturate us, transform us, and renew us. And unify your people around Jesus. <sighs> help Christianity not to be a hot commodity, but help it to be the passion of our souls. Jesus. And him, and him alone. Him, him alone. In Jesus' name, amen.